Good morning. I'm going to be reading from Genesis 15, 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield. Your Abraham. Yeah. I am your shield. Your word shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and, there, and the heir of the house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and, and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed in the Lord. And he continued it to, and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. You may be seated. All right, if you have a Bible, open to Genesis chapter 12, where we're going to be this morning, and feel free to pull out the uh, sermon outline that you got uh, when you came in in the bulletin. Um, as Pastor Tim mentioned earlier in the service, we are going through the, the whole Bible this year together, and I hope you get a chance to read uh, some, of the, uh, some of the section for this week, but if you didn't, that's okay. We're going we're gonna to have another section coming up in the week to come, and I hope that you'll give it a try as we go through this. As Tim said, some of the stories seem uh, remarkable as we read through them in the Old Testament, and they remind us of human frailty and God's faithfulness, and I, I hope you'll get to be a part of that. Um, if, like some people I've talked to today, you either haven't started any of the reading, or you're on Genesis 2, uh, and we're on Genesis 37, that's totally okay. Just jump into Genesis 37 where we are and, and keep going with us. Uh, don't feel like you need to cover all the grounds you missed. Try to just uh, keep starting each new week afresh. I think that'll help you develop a, a good habit of reading rather than despairing and giving up um, if you've gotten behind a little bit. And if it's Saturday night and you aren't sure what you're supposed to have read before the next morning, you can always pull it up on the church website and you can do what Becca and I did last night uh, when we were, we said, we're supposed to have go how far? Who assigned such a large section of scripture? <laughs> it was me. <laughs> um, and so if you are struggling with accountability, I recommend becoming a pastor, telling a whole church to read the Bible together, and then, and then you have to do it too. Um, no, it's, it's really helpful. It's really helpful. All right, well, today we're going to be talking about Abraham. Um, and Abraham's story really is a foundational story for understanding how the whole Bible lays out together. So whether you read any of it in advance of uh, this week or not, I hope you'll hear about how important Abraham is for understanding our lives today. Now, on the surface, Abraham's story is so foreign to our life, right? It's about sheeps and goats and shepherding and the ancient world 4,000 years ago and uh, maidservants and warfare, and it all can feel very antiquated. But underneath Abraham's story is really the story of doubt and waiting and longing and blessing. And what does it mean for God to care for us and to love us and to respond, uh, to respond to our sin, not with cursing, but with blessing? This is a, an important pivot point in the Bible because uh, we talked about last week, the first couple chapters of Genesis and how God had made his creation good and very good. And yet humanity had rebelled against God, had sinned and had borne the consequences through the curse. And uh, in the next few chapters after that, in Genesis 4 to 11, they're marked continually with the curse of God on sin. Cain and Abel 
uh, are a story of God's cursing Cain for his murder of his brother. Uh, The story of the flood is a curse on the earth where God says he is sorry that he had made it. And the Tower of Babel is uh, God cursing humans who have tried to make themselves like God. And if all we had was Genesis 1 to 11, and that's the only part of the Bible that was available to us, we'd think, you know, the moral of the religious life is don't do bad things or God will curse you. And if the Bible just closed at that point and that was it, we'd think, all right, the moral story is be a good boy, be a good girl, or God's going to come down on you. Unfortunately, some of us have taken that message as if it's the whole Bible, that that's been our experience of God, maybe our experience of religion or the church, that we have to be good or else God's going to come and get us. He's going to zap us or hit us with a lightning bolt or something. And Genesis 12 represents a really important pivot, a really important Uh, Not departure from cursing, but a a story that really puts it in a different light, which is the story of blessing, where rather than our only narrative being about cursing, we see that God blesses through Abraham all the nations of the earth. And so we're going to look at that concept of blessing today. And I think it's a really important question for us uh, in our culture because we we still use that language of blessed or to be blessed or to bless one another. Um, it's a hashtag online, you know, like hashtag blessed. If you have a good meal or you have a nice car, right? <laughs> we'll say that we're blessed. Uh, but I struggled this week as I was talking to some people to get a coherent view from people of what is a blessing. What does it mean to be blessed from God? How do I know if I'm blessed? Uh, what is, how do I know if something is a result of my efforts, if it's God's blessing, do those two things work together? How, how do I play out these things in my life in a way that helps me notice God in the world and be grateful to him? So that's what we're going to talk about today. Genesis 12 through 26 is all about Abraham. We're not going to be able to cover that whole part of Scripture today, but we'll cover just a couple passages, one from Genesis 12 and one from Genesis 15, that outline some important themes from Abraham's life around blessing, around God's covenantal promise, and around Abraham's faith. So let's get into it in Genesis 12, verse 1 together. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. The purpose of Abram's life is that he would be blessed to be a blessing to others. And the context of that blessing comes in the midst of the very thing that Abram is the most insecure over thing he has the most longing around. What God promises to bless Abram in is not his strength, but his weakness. Abram receives this promise of blessing in an area that he would feel the least confident about, which is the issue of what will happen to him after he dies. See, unlike other people around him, Abram was experiencing infertility with his wife, Sarah. We read about that at the end of chapter 11. It's the only thing that the narrator tells us about Sarai at first is that in verse 30, now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Abram at this point is 75 years old. Sarah is about 65 years old. And they've reached old age without any kids. And at that point in life, they assumed they would never have kids. And in their culture, barrenness was perceived as a curse. I want to be clear here. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible does not say barrenness is a curse. If any of us are struggling with infertility here, it's not a sign of God's judgment or wrath on us. In fact, we'll see in Sarah's story that it is her infertility and Abraham's infertility 
that actually marks the blessing of God in the future. But because children were seen as a blessing, barrenness was interpreted as a curse. And as Genesis 4 to 11 has talked about, cursing was all that they kind of had known from God so far. And so now God intervenes in history and says, the very thing that was marked as a curse in your mind is going to be not just a small blessing, but a blessing of a multitude of nations that will come out of you, Abraham. Now, of course, this requires attention, attention of faith between what he has known and what he has never known. Right? God is calling Abraham to believe something could happen that he has never seen before. And this is the gap of faith, right? Between what is known and what is seen and what is unknown and what is unseen. Sometimes I wonder, like, what would cynical Abraham have said? What would skeptical Abraham have said? I don't know. This seems too good to be true. I think I'm just going to stay here in Haran. Uh, Eastern Jordan is wonderful this time of year. Um, she liked my joke. <laughs> Thanks, Felicity. <laughs> All right. You're my favorite Rick of Franca now. All right. You didn't laugh, Jason? <laughs> Now, this is the tension, right? This is the tension between what is known and what is unknown. And, and for Abraham, this tension requires him to act in faith, to be obedient. And he, uh, to Abraham's, and I mean this literally, his eternal credit, he acts in faith. Verse 4 says, So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. If we had more time, we could talk about Lot and, and about his story and how his story is sort of the foil of faith, but, but that's for another day. Um, Abraham demonstrates faith in the way that he carries out what God has told him to do. Now, this is, this is important to, to clarify, because Abraham, according to both Galatians and Romans in the New Testament, is considered to be righteous before God because of his faith, right? As uh, we'll see later in chapter 15, it is because of his faith that God considers him righteous. But the result of his faith is his action, Right? It's not his actions that makes him righteous, but because of his faith, uh, he carries out these actions. And for him, that involves, carry, uh, that involves doing what God told him to do. For him to receive the new land that God would promise, he would have to leave his homeland behind. For him to receive the blessing of descendants God had promised, he would have to leave his father's home behind. Later on, when we see the law given, the first commandment is to have no other gods before God. In order to worship God and to obey him, you have to leave idolatry behind. Jesus would say something similar in the New Testament when he'd say, whoever is not willing to leave behind fathers and mothers and homes and everything that you've known in order to follow me is not worthy of me. For Abram, he does this not knowing what's in front of him. He acts in faith as if he's walking through a dark room, not knowing what is to come. Hebrews 11, which is on the back of your bulletin, by the way, if, if you haven't turned over your sermon outline yet to see how long the sermon is going to be, um, I hope you'll be pleasantly surprised uh, because I put a bunch of passages on the back from the New Testament about Abram, um, about how the New Testament interprets him. And so you can see uh, in that list some of the ways the New Testament refers to Abram. The reason I did that was so that as I reference some of these in the sermon, you don't have to flip all the way through your Bible and get lost and get distracted. And also so that uh, you might meditate on some of those verses this week or read over them after the sermon and think about um, uh, what, what Abram means 
in the Bible. One of those is from Hebrews 11. And listen to how Abram's faith is described here. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And I love this line. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Man, that's a good description of faith. He went out not knowing where he was going. Faith requires that same thing of us at times, right? To, to act without all the information, to obey not knowing the why. Some of you guys who are parenting our kids are, are trying to work on this with your kids right now. Like, I need you to obey even if you don't understand the why as a four-year-old. And we, we experience the same thing with God. Like, I need to obey even if I don't understand the why or the when or what's to come. That what's asked of me is obedience uh, and, and I'll, I'll carry it out not knowing yet where I'm going. Um, I was, Becky and I were practicing this sermon last night, and she said, you know, here you should tell people that this is what it's like when we go driving and you go out not knowing <laughs> where you're going. <laughs> Your joke got more of a laugh than my joke. <laughs> I don't know how to feel about that. All right. <laughs> one, one of the things I wonder about Abraham, I, um, so Abraham's faith is driven um, by his obedience to God. It's shown by his obedience to God. And one of the things I wonder about Abraham is, would he have done this if he already had a son? Right? Abraham's life is marked by infertility. It's the question that is the most glaring on his mind. Um, will I have an heir? And it's the thing that God promises him, and Abraham is obedient. And so I've wondered, this is not in the Bible, would Abraham have gone if he already had kids? Now, part of me thinks no, because people with kids never can go anywhere. Um, <laughs> but the, the other part of me, no, no, seriously, I, I, I think he wouldn't have. I mean, I, this is speculation. Again, this isn't in the Bible. But I think part of why Abraham acts on God's call on his life is his desperation. I think his willingness to follow God's obedience is driven in part by him having no other option for that which he desperately needed. Now, do I, think, do I hope that Abram would act? Would I think, hope that I would obey God, even if I'm not desperate? Of course. But I think about Peter in the Gospel of John, when Jesus is giving a really difficult lesson, a really difficult teaching, and a lot of people leave Jesus. And Jesus turns to Peter and to the other disciples and says, don't you guys want to leave too? And what's Peter's response? Where else would we go? Who else has the words of eternal life? Right? Peter's, in a sense, desperate for what only Jesus can offer. And, and, and of course, the, the subtext of that passage and of this one is, of course we should all be desperate for what God alone can offer. I mean, shouldn't Abraham have gone even if he already had 12 kids? Of course, right? But sometimes our felt experience of desperation that's born out of weakness, that's born out of suffering, that's born out of pain, makes us more open to the prompting of God. And sometimes comfort can dull us to the prompting of God. So it gives meaning to Abraham's suffering. It gives meaning to Sarah's uh, infertility issues and her barrenness. Um, without that suffering, they probably never would have listened to God. Uh, the reason I'm, I think that, by the way, um, is not just because it makes a good sermon point, but if you look up at the end of chapter 11, that's Abraham's father's story. You know, Abraham's father, a guy named Terah, um, leaves Ur of the Chaldees, and he heads towards Canaan, it says. This is Genesis 11, 31. Um, Abram took, uh, I'm sorry, Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans. 
in order to go into the land of Canaan. Right? That, that's, the, that's the mission that Abram sent on as well. And his father has started it. But then look at the last part of this. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Right? You might underline the word settled. They settled there. They gave up there. They gave in there. They figured this was good enough there. For Abram, there's a desperation and a faith that are intertwined together, a longing that is to be fulfilled that drives him to obey God. And verse 4, uh, if you go back to chapter 12, verse 4 says, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. How, uh, the reason I want to mention his age here is uh, a couple reasons. One is, you'll see his age marked off a few different times in Abraham's story in order to show how long he has to wait for God's promise to be fulfilled. In fact, Abram would be 100 years old when the son that was promised to him would come. 75 years old to 100 years old. 25 years. Think about how long you've had to wait on God for things that were a month, five months, 18 months. Can you imagine waiting for 25 years? I know some of you guys are in a waiting time right now where you feel like, God, I don't know what's next, and I, I wish you would show me or tell me or help me understand what's in front of me. 25 years. Think about 25 years ago. That's 1994. Um, half the NFL wasn't alive yet, right, in 1994. Um, if you wanted to text someone, uh, that meant like taking out pieces of a typewriter and mailing it to them. <laughs> that was texting. Um, I like the second part of the laugh there. It's like, no one laughed and then pity. Yeah, that's good. No, I, I point out how long Abraham had to wait in order to help those of us who are in a period of waiting right now to understand that, that God is not slow to keep his promises, as some consider slowness, as the New Testament says, but that God acts faithfully to all that he has committed. And secondly, I point out his age, too, because the Old Testament holds up in high regard um, the capacity for older adults to carry out great acts of courage and mission in God's name. You know, Abraham's 75 when he goes off on this wild journey with God. Moses is 80 years old when he leads the people of Israel out of Egypt in the Exodus. Caleb is in his old age when he goes to Joshua and says, give me these towns to fight in battle. Um, Noah, I mean, Noah is a mythically old age when he builds the ark to carry out God's faithfulness in his generation. Um, God delights in the faith of all of us, um, and there is never a time in our life where we can use our age as an excuse to avoid acting in faith before God. As C.S. Lewis said, you're never too old to dream a new dream. And I would add, you're never too old to carry out what God has called you to. And God delights in the faith of Abraham and he blesses him as a result. If you look in verses two and three, you see that God promises to Abraham that he would bless him in response to his faith. You see in, in verse two, I will make you a great nation, I will bless you, I'll make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Right? The purpose of blessing is to bless. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Right? God is creating this new reality in Abram's life through his speaking blessing into his reality. So in Genesis 1 and 2, we hear that God creates through his spoken word all that exists. And now in Genesis 12, God again speaks not, uh, not the universe into being, but he speaks blessing into Abram's life. 
And he does it in order that Abram would bless those around him. The word bless in Hebrew is Barak. Um, yes, like the president's, former president's name. Uh, and it's used five times in this passage in order to highlight how blessed Abram would be. So this raises the question of how do I know if it's a blessing from God? What is a blessing from God? Is that just a, like a spiritual way of talking about something I'm grateful for? Or a religious way of bragging? Is that what blessing is? Um, no, blessings are portions of what we were created for. Blessings are, um, the, the best metaphor I could come up with was, they're like, they're like individual leaves from the Garden of Eden. They're like branches from the trees of Eden. They're reminders of what we were made for. And they're reminders of what we hope for that we'll experience with God for eternity. The definition I came up with for blessing is when God gifts us a portion of our created purpose for the benefit of others. When God gifts us portions of our created purpose for the benefit of others. So in the Old Testament, we see blessing around the issue of fertility often because as God told Adam and Eve, uh, be fruitful and multiply and fill and subdue the earth. And so when uh, children come, we still will use this language even today, that they're a blessing from the Lord, that uh, as the psalmist says, uh, children are a blessing from the Lord. Blessed is the one whose quiver is full of them. And the reason why we would talk about them as a blessing is because that's what you and I were originally, originally created to do, right? Now, that's been, um, that's been flawed by sin, of course, and the curse and the fall and a lot of other things we would talk about today. But at, at a core, children are a blessing because that's what we were made for. Um, we see blessing talked about in terms of um, crops doing well, work going well, people being able to, in, in Genesis, people's flocks uh, increasing. And the reason that's talked about as a blessing is because that's what humans were originally made for. Right? When God creates Adam and Eve, he tells them to fill the earth and subdue it, that, that they would work the land and that it would go well for them. And of course, when Adam and Eve fall, what's one of the curses on Adam? Is that work will become frustrating and hard and difficult and it won't go well. And so in your life, in my life today, sometimes we're blessed with work that we find meaningful and joyful and that it helps people, and it benefits others. And sometimes we're cursed with work that's anything but that. And then rest is often referred to as a blessing in the Old Testament. You think about like in number six, where it talks about the Aaron blesses the people, and he blesses them with peace, right? It's because we were made to be at peace with God. Blessings are like leaves from Eden that point us towards the hope we have in heaven to come. Even in the New Testament, when we see the Beatitudes, uh, that's the part at the beginning of, of uh, Matthew 5, where Jesus talks about what it means to live a blessed life. And he talks about how uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in heart, right? Blessed are all the people you don't expect. But, but why are those people blessed, right? For they shall see God, for, uh, for they shall be called children of God, for they shall inherit the earth. That's all language that ties back to Eden and looks forward to the new heavens and new earth. The Beatitudes that describe the blessed people are the people who are living lives, are in our given lives, that are made to look like heaven to come. And the purpose of all these blessings is to be a blessing to those around us. It's never a blessing if it terminates with us, right? 
if, uh, if you're said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a picture of this and put it on Instagram, and it's just about how great I am. <laughs> that's not a blessing, right? That's, that's something that makes much of ourselves. But for Abraham and for us, we're blessed in order to benefit others. Uh, one, one other thing. Blessings are always incomplete in this life, right? And, and we're always going to experience some version of uh, the incompleteness of what God would have for us as a result of the fall. And we're always looking towards what is to come in heaven. And so when we get those branches and leaves from Eden, it can remind us of all that we're missing out on, or it can remind us of what's to come in Christ. And Paul, in the letter to the Ephesians, reminds us that we have the hope that our blessings are completed in the life to come. This is Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here how, here's how he describes your life. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Or as I might rephrase that, he has blessed us with everything that really matters in heaven. He has given us all the rest and peace we need in Christ. He has given us all the authority that we need. He has given us everything that truly matters. And he gives it to us in order that we might be a blessing to those around us. Now, sometimes the absence of blessings can feel like a crippling thing. We might have one, two, three puzzle pieces, but we focus on the 497 that we don't have to make up the puzzle. But instead, I hope that we'll look at these blessings as pointers to the life we have to come in Christ. Uh, if you read the chapters this week, you notice that um, blessings can take on a really wonky, uh, is wonky a technical term? <laughs> that, that, that blessings can really go sideways when they're uh, given out of selfishness. So later on, Abraham's son Isaac and his, his grandson Jacob will really mess up blessing because they'll be focused on what they can get out of it. Um, and behind that is the selfishness that mars all of our good things and, our, and turns them into corrupt things as a result of human sin. But I hope what we don't lose in there is the opportunity that we have, as parents in particular, to bless our kids. This is something that, that I've been trying to do with our kids, kind of you know, haphazardly and with fits and starts, but trying to speak blessing into their life, to pray that God would bless them with things that truly matter. And so for me, what that involves is putting my hand on my son's chest before he goes to bed and praying like it's just a short prayer. God, may you bless him with peace. God, may you bless him with all that he needs in godliness. Wait, come back here. You, know, <laughs> you only have one sentence, right? <laughs> come back here. Um, but, but trying to uh, instill in him from an early age the idea that God has blessed us. God has blessed you. Um, and that is to be grateful for and to, to use as a longing for what is to come in heaven. Because Abraham's faith will ultimately be a blessing, not just for him, but for all who would come after him. In fact, it says in Galatians that all of us who have the same faith that Abraham have are now part of the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. In Galatians 3.9, which again is in the back of your sermon outline, it says, So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. You are just as blessed as Abraham. Now, it may look a different way in your life. Uh, it might not turn into the same sort of um, family line that he had. But in terms of what truly matters, we carry the same blessings as he did uh, in Christ. And in fact, we get to experience something Abraham never did, which is to see the fulfillment of God's promise 
in Jesus Christ. In John 8, uh, Jesus, talking to some of the religious leaders of his day, turns to them and says, you know, Abraham longed to see my day, right? Abraham longed to see the fulfillment of the promise that was to come in the Messiah. And then there's this great line in John 8 where he says, before Abraham was, I am. One of Jesus' great statements about divinity. Abraham's life was marked by waiting, a waiting that we've seen fulfilled in Jesus, and a waiting that some of us have some experience of today, where we feel like we're waiting for God to come through. For Abraham, the story starts when he's 75, or the story we have in the Bible, um, but it continues for 25 years. In fact, about 10 years after God's promise, God comes and speaks to him again in chapter 15, and this is going to be the last part of the scripture we'll look at today. Um, And God reminds Abraham of his promise. And you almost see Abraham exploding in frustration and doubt. Like, God, I've waited this long. I feel bad telling him now, you're going to have to wait 15 more years, Abraham, even after this. This is what happens in Genesis 15.1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, no, 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 no. Okay, I added that part. O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Do you hear Abram's tone in this? God, you have not given me the thing that we made a deal over, right? What good is my faith if I don't get what you promised? God, I'm going to give up on this if you don't come through on your end of the bargain. And this is where we live sometimes too, right? Doubt born out of a failure to see God's God's faithfulness on our timing. But for Abraham, there's always a promise that God would be faithful. And I want you to notice how God responds to Abraham's doubt because um, I think probably a lot of us would be afraid to say the things to God that Abraham says. Uh, But we see in God's response such a tenderness and a kindness towards him in his doubt. Look at verse 4. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And God brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. How does God respond to Abraham's doubt and his objections? He responds with a picture of what he's waiting for. He responds with kindness and gentleness towards Abraham, like, He doesn't just squash him and just say, look, I said I would do it, and if you have a problem waiting, you can go find some other God that doesn't exist, and you can try to find him to to care for you, right? No, God's tender towards him. He's caring towards him. And for the second time in Genesis, God takes someone out and offers them a vision of overwhelming blessing, right? For Adam and Eve, it was the Garden of Eden, this picture of all that they could eat now. And now for Abram, it's the stars of the sky of what is to come. And unlike Adam, Abraham believes, right? Look at verse 6. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. He believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Uh, This is a really important verse. This is one that Paul will pick up in Romans 4 as an example of what it means that we're saved by grace through faith. When God promised Abraham that he would be blessed in spite of all of his doubts. I love verse 6, and part of me wants to just say, like, let's just end there. But, you know, Abram's story is marked by not only his doubts, but his failures. In fact, just two verses later, um, 
Abram says, yeah, yeah, it's great. The stars are great. Love the stars. Love stars. Wonderful stars. Uh, the best stars. But God, how do I know, right? Look at verse 8. But he said, oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? At this point, I, to be honest, I kind of expect God to blow up at him, right? Like, I told you. I, told, I just showed you the stars. I'm speaking to you from heaven, right? And yet his doubts are still there. It gives comfort, I think, to all of us who experience doubt with God sometimes. And so instead, God makes a covenant with him. A covenant was an ancient way of a promise, of saying, I am absolutely going to fulfill what I've promised to you. They were common in the ancient world because of a, in a mostly non-literate society. It was a way that people could establish for sure that something had happened. You'd, uh, what you would do is you'd take animals, you'd divide them in half, which you know, obviously meant killing them and cutting them in half, and then you would have someone walk through the middle of them and say, if I don't fulfill my side of the covenant, I'm going to die just like these animals. And then the, the carcasses would be used to make a meal for everyone in the community, and all those people who ate it would be a witness that this covenant had happened. And God does the same thing here in verses 9 to 11, makes a covenant with Abraham that he will fulfill what he has said he would do. Covenants, the only time we really see covenants in the modern world today is at weddings, um, where two people get up together in front of a community, make a promise that until death separates them, that they will commit to one another, and then they walk down an aisle together. Now, I've been to a lot of weddings. I've never seen in that aisle there to be animal parts on either side. But Rebecca and Abe, I mean, you guys are getting married soon. We could, I mean, it's Abraham here, Abraham here. All right. There's, there's got to be a Pinterest board of animal parts. That are coming. All right. All right, why, why am I spending time on this? Um, because covenants are really important to understand the Bible. You know, in some ways, the Old Testament, some people would say the Old Testament is a story of God's covenantal faithfulness. The idea that God always carries out what he has promised. And he carries out what he promised to, to Adam, to Noah, to Abraham, to Moses, to David, and ultimately, and most importantly, what he promised in the coming of the Messiah. And so we can trust God's faithfulness not just because he makes the covenants, but the covenants are an act of kindness to remind Abraham and to remind us that God will always do what he said he would do. And if, if we were to end the story here, and I, I hate to do that because you guys keep closing your Bibles and opening them again. Um, I, I don't want to leave you with just thinking, okay, so Abraham's a great example. We should be like Abraham. We should have faith like Abraham. We should try harder. I shouldn't doubt so much. I'm going to be more like Abraham. Well, Abraham is a good example for the most part, though he has a lot of flaws we could talk about another time. But really what Abraham points to is Jesus. Um, what Abraham points to is the one who will fulfill all the things that the blessing for Abraham came through, which is his great-great-great-grandson, Jesus Christ. You know, it's great that Abraham's willing to leave his father's home and to go towards Canaan, but Jesus is the one who left heaven in order to come near to obey the will of God for us. You know, it's, it's great that Abraham is going to be a blessing and that people will be blessed through him, but Jesus is the one who en empowers it for you and me to have every spiritual blessing. It's, it's great that Abraham is faithful to what he's supposed to do most of the time, but Jesus is the one who is faithful even to the point of death on a cross. You know, if you know the rest of the story, you know that there's times where Abraham's faith is questioned, where he, out of a desire to save his own skin, uh, lies about what is true about him and endangers the opportunity of other people being blessed. And yet Jesus will never do that, right? Even to the point of his own crucifixion, he's always faithful to what God has called him to do. Abram's story is an encouragement to us, I hope. I, I hope it is for you as well, about what a blessed life can look like. 
how God can come to someone who feels like they have no hope and bring blessing into their life. But, you know, that, that's a small thing compared to what Jesus has done. How Jesus has come to those of us who are far off from God, who are dead in our sins and transgressions, and come to us and brought every spiritual blessing from God the Father. And all of us who are in Christ have the hope as a result of that. Um, a couple questions for you to, or a couple things for you to think about this week. Um, one would be, and, and these aren't on your, on your outline, but just for you to think about. One would be, how do I see in Abraham what a life of faith would look like? What do I see in Abraham what a life of faith would look like? Or to put it a different way, would I have done what Abraham did? And then secondly, um, how do I need to be reminded of God's covenantal promise in my life? How do I need to be reminded of God's covenantal promise in my life? You know, we most often do that in communion. We, we practice, uh, at least on a monthly basis, the time of taking communion and be reminded that this is the new covenant in Christ, that God will always carry out what he's promised. And then the last question, how can I be a blessing to others? Right? How has God blessed me in order to be a blessing to others? How can I share my faith or share my resources in a way that brings not just the blessing of God on me, but through me to other people? Uh, let's close our time in prayer. God, I'm grateful for Abraham because he teaches us about you. I'm grateful for Abraham because he teaches us about ourselves. And uh, I'm grateful for Abraham because he shows us um, how you care for and bless fallen, cursed people. God, I pray for my friends who are here um, who feel like the only time they've ever experienced you is through cursing, who feel like the only time they've ever experienced you is through pain and hurt. Um, God, I pray that you would show them that you are the God of blessing as well, that you have created us to be in a relationship with you, that you've sent your son in order to bless us with every spiritual blessing in Christ and eternity with you, and that you love us and that you cherish us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, in these next just